Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of In My Own Words, a PSASA podcast recording with the incredible guest who is Exine Duval. Welcome Exine, I am so excited to have you here and so excited to be sharing your story in your own words. Hi Titi, um, thanks for having me. It's, um, I always find it fascinating to see what people find interesting. I never see myself as that interesting. And um, so when I hear things like that, I just go like, okay, am I that interesting? <laughs> well, from the conversations we have had to date, every time that I have a conversation with you, I do look forward to it and I learn something new. So that's definitely, definitely interesting. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm just glad I can help. It's. I think it's part of sort of growing up in in Africa. You, I grew up close to Gaborone, and on a rural community oh. there. Oh, wow! And so, my nanny Letta is where I learned to speak Setswana, mm-hmm. and um, then the Afrikaans and English, of course, at school, and with my mum. Mm-hmm. But. When you grow up in a Tswana community, there's a sense of community. There's also mm-hmm. a sense of connection. Mm-hmm. And so I still remember um, at night um, around the fireplace or the fires in the um, where the accommodation was for, for, the, for the people that worked with us on the farm, I would sneak away from the house and I would go sit there and have conversations with people that and we, we, we would be gossiping about my dad. Because wow. um, we all commiserate about, he was in such a bad mood today, you know. It's like, <laughs> and you're doing this when you're like 10 years old, you know. And um, so I've always had this feeling that community is really important and mm-hmm. that the way that we connect with people around us are really important. Absolutely. And so... If, always wanted to, it's always been part of me reaching out and helping other people. I think it's just, you get taught that very early on and it becomes a way of life. Yes, absolutely. Being African myself and living on the continent, I completely resonate with that. And um, I think just that memory of yours is a a memory, well, almost every child of Africa that was born the other side of 2000 has. Not quite sure about after 2000 when everything became so modernized and we have all this tech and all of a sudden they're just peering at screens more than they are sitting around the fire. Mm. So tell me, how did you get started in your speaking journey? I think it actually started there around the the campfire Mm. in that um, there was always just a hint of embellishment. Um, just to make the story sound really exciting. Um, but it was, there was also a lot of humor involved. It was a way of coping. And so I started, I think, started speaking there and, and became more and more prevalent in that I started speaking on participating in things like school plays. I was involved in um, debate teams and public speaking actually from, from primary school already. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was, but it didn't really become something I did professionally till a few years ago. Yeah. I 
moved to the Netherlands in 2001, sort of, let's, let's call it my early 30s. Let's not give away too much of the, of the age. Um, and then I met someone that I worked with. He is from Germany. Mm -hmm. And um, he wasn't was public speaking. I just never knew it. And about five years ago, we, we sort of saw each other again in the Canary Islands. I went there on holiday with my better half. Um, and he was, had just recently moved there. So we just struck up a conversation again. We had not spoken to each other almost 10 years. You know, we worked together way back. Mm -hmm. And he just told me, but what you should do is go speak. I'm like, what do you mean speak? He says, you, you're doing all this training anyway, and you're speaking to a lot of people anyway. Why don't you just charge money for it and just go get on a podium? And I'm like, oh, do I have the confidence for that? You know, I've, I've done it before. I mean, he's seen me speak in, a, in, in an auditorium amongst, uh, in front of 3,000 people on the product when I launched it. And it's like, so for me, it was just, it felt weird to ask money for it because I just enjoyed it so much. Uh -huh. <laughs> And so he said, now you should join the PSA. And I went like, what is the PSA? The yeah. professional speaker says, yes, and what's that? And he started explaining about the GSA in, the Netherlands, in Germany and the PSA in the Netherlands and that he was part of the PSA UKI. And, um, and he introduced me to Alan Stevens, which is an amazing coach. And Alan also does things in crisis management. So it was interesting for me to see that perspective as well, because I've done my fair share of that. And so I just hit it off with Alan, and um, then I spoke to Paul Terval, who is previous Global Speaker Federation president, but was also president here in the Netherlands um, for Frauwe. And he introduced me to the PSA in the Netherlands, and he became a sponsor. And so I put in an application, and because I already could show invoices and so on for speaking as a trainer, um, I very quickly became a professional speaker um, on the basis of what I could already do. Mm -hmm. And from there, um, I applied from the Netherlands. I applied to become a professional speaker in the UK as well as in South Africa. And mm -hmm. I've been a happy member of all three organizations since then. And two years ago, actually, year, that's two years ago, the Professional Speaker Association in the Netherlands elected me to become the president. And I was very happy with that. Before that, I was already treasurer. So it was like very quickly, within a year, I was on the management team. And then within three years, I was president. So I was very happy with that. Um, but during COVID, how do, you, how do you help people to become their best selves during COVID? Mm -hmm. When we lose so much revenue and we lose so much of our ability to do what we really enjoy, standing in front of people and, and sharing our message. And that's been a challenge to, to find a way to help speakers to not only survive financially, but also deal with all the stresses and stressors and find ways to stay upright emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I think we finally found ways to help each other. Um, we're constantly experimenting. It's one thing I love about the Netherlands. We're constantly experimenting. And what I like about South Africa is it's, it, there's big dreams. Mm. You know, it's, it's like everybody has a dream. In the Netherlands, you get told, e yeah, there's 100 million reasons why it can't happen. And in South Africa, it's just, but just dream. It will happen. Just dream. 
the, the, you know, the Americans have a belief that it will happen. In South Africa and Africa, we dream. We, we, we see the beauty. I think one of the most beautiful things in any language for me is Nakiele Bukhohuhuitsi. Okay. What is that? Which it's, and, and it's in Setswana, it, it says, instead of saying, I'm glad to know you, or I'm happy to have met you, mm-hmm. it's Lebucha, which means I'm thankful. Mm. So I'm thankful for knowing you. And I'm thankful for knowing all the people I knew do the PSASA. Wow. Because they've been so inspirational and, and shown me so many beautiful dreams. And I've been able to to assist in some of those and mm-hmm. it's just been a blessing for me to be able to be there and see these beautiful flowers you know just sort of opening up and flourishing it with with a little bit of guidance mm-hmm. incredible can you share a little bit about the niche that you are in as a speaker what do you speak to and what and why do you choose to speak to that Probably have to go, do a little bit of a history, tap back into the history. I, at school, I was also slated to towards leadership roles and mm-hmm. um, everything from from religious organisations all the way through to school organisations. Um, always pushed me forward to the leadership roles. And when I went to the military, um, I was taken straight into um, into officers training as well. Mm-hmm. And I saw things that. I wanted to understand better. I wanted to understand how leaders really make a difference. Okay. And so my dad was one of those people that was very good at, he was quite compassionate on the one hand, and on the other hand, he was very clear about what he wanted. Mm-hmm. But I never realized why I didn't believe him to be such a great leader until I met Nelson Mandela. And um, I was part of a group um, from the University of Orange Free State at the time that stayed behind during school, during the university holidays to be there for the ANC National Conference and help organize things behind the scenes. And I had the opportunity to meet Nelson Mandela. And it was just the one thing that struck me with not just him, but also with Albertina and Walter Cecilio was that they had a way to connect. And it just felt as if when you're with them, everything was going to be okay. It was really strange, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and that's where I started to realize. But they, they, even though there may be conflict, even though there may be differences of opinion, the moment we realize that a compassionate life is a connected life and is a resilient life, mm-hmm. we find true leadership. And so, what I talk about is how. We help leaders to be connected leaders, to understand what compassion means, and that compassion doesn't mean we do not evaluate or do not reprimand, but it does mean we don't have to be nasty about it. Mm-hmm. And then when people are suffering and struggling and, and don't know which way to turn, a hand of compassion can help them in the, in the direction that gives them a future again. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's my core of what I do. I work with people around compassionate leadership and connected leadership. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what I generally speak to as well. Uh, everything from what is the biology of leadership and the hormones in, involved in, it, in the neurobiology all the way through to what can I do today to make a difference. Mm. And within this space, as you've grown, as you've contributed, as you've been in individuals' journeys, what are some of the biggest transformations or impactful encounters you've had? I think what, what really resonates with me or what, what I really feel passionate about is when I see people grow. Mm-hmm. And so I think I have to look rather close to home. And I met my other half in beginning 2000, 2001, actually, towards the end of the year. We've been together for, what's it now? 20 years, you know, it's, it's going on. Mm-hmm. And over the time, the way that we work together, the way that we develop together and, and, and that sense of cohesion and seeing the growth, not just in myself, and, and see the stuff that we learn from the process has been beautiful. And to then be able to share that with our friends first and then wider as, as soon as amazing results. First, one of the things that we did uh, or that did with a big beverage company here in the Netherlands is we looked at where does the conflict come from and where does the cohesion lie and what, which parts of co- that cohesion and motivation that's behind it really drives their performance. Specifically in this, that case, we looked at sales. And through one simple intervention, we managed to get the salespeople's cohesion up. And it's one of the, mm-hmm. I think, the most interesting conve- in, in interventions is um, gratitude. When you do a gratitude exercise, just every day at the, the, the moment, I mean, I gave it this morning to a coach again and said, just write down three things every day. Take five minutes out of day. It won't take a long time. Just write down, what am I grateful for today in my own life? Mm-hmm. What am I grateful for in what I do? So the people I work with or the job that I do. And three, what am I grateful for in the people that I love? Okay. So it's mm-hmm. myself, my work, and whom I love. And in that process, we get to a point where we change the way that we perceive the world. Mm-hmm. And it's been shown to be almost as good as drugs. And sometimes better. And so when we're in these really, really difficult situations, this gratitude helps. But the moment we express it, the moment we tell someone else about that gratitude, it really transforms lives. And so if I can say, I am thankful for knowing you, mm-hmm. or I can say, I am thankful for the help you gave me, or I'm thankful for the fact that I have your love in my life, it changes that person to whom we express that gratitude's life as well. And it becomes a reciprocal thing. So when we express it, we also get it back. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to leadership and work, when we say thank you for something, Mm -hmm. we do two things. One, is we add a pride hormone to that that says you are worthy of being seen, you're worthy of being present, you're worthy of my time 
and I appreciate you. Mm-hmm. So it stimulates pride, but it also stimulates loyalty. And the moment we set that example as a leader, others start following suit and doing the same. Mm-hmm. And so that means the team becomes more resilient, more connected, more trusting. Mm-hmm. And it all starts with thank you. The other thing that thank you add as a bonus is it sets targets or it sets clarity. If I say thank you, it doesn't mean, oh, my God, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's thank you. It's precisely what I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know? But every time I say thank you, I've created another baseline. And then everybody knows that if they perform to that baseline, it's going to be a thank you. It's not going to be, oh, my God, this is not good enough. Mm. And so I think we tend to forget that criticism is not what gives us performance. It's thank you that gives us performance. Mm -hmm. Criticism can give us growth, but it cannot give us the baseline. Mm. Mm -hmm. That is so true. And personally, in this speaking journey, training journey, connecting, sharing, What are some of the lessons do you feel that have given you your biggest takeaway? Mm. I think that we underestimate, we overestimate our ability to see other people's pain. Uh, it's something that I've noticed here in Europe. Um, having grown up in Africa, he, he, as, uh, as, even as a white guy, you know, my nanny was black. So I, I, I can see black faces and I can see emotions. Mm-hmm. But for people that haven't been exposed to faces that look differently, mm-hmm. it's harder. And I didn't realize how bad that was till I went to China and I couldn't figure out. I know these people have emotions. They must. They're people. Right, but I'm blind. I can't see this. What the hell's going on here? And that's where I was confronted with my own own blindness. But I was confronted with other people's blindness when I was six, when I went to school for the first time. Mm-hmm. Because just before I went to school, um, I lost a friend of mine, um, Johnny. Mm. And Johnny had fallen and had cut open his stomach with a bottle that he was carrying. And so I sat there and I literally held in his guts um, with a terry cloth that my mum had brought out. She dunked in saline solution and a little bit of sort of like tepid cut peach wise. I didn't see Johnny again after the day. I sat there next to, his, next to him holding his hand for what felt like forever before the ambulance came. And he went off to Zeres to the hospital, but he didn't make it. But this is my best friend, you know. And so when I went to school, I shared my pain. And I was just told that Johnny didn't matter because Johnny was black. And that was my first confrontation with how blind people can be and be able to put someone in a group that is not theirs, and take away their humanity. Mm, mm, 
And through my life, I'd experienced quite a few situations like that. And for me, I've come to the realization that that is the one thing, if there's one thing I can do in my life, if there's one change I can bring about in this world, is to teach people how to see. Mm. And so we've created these little interventions as well where we tell people it doesn't matter who the person is as long as they do not look like your primary caregiver because we know from science that's that's where the first group forming starts look different from your primary caregiver have meaningful conversations talk about what's painful what angers you what upsets you but also what gives you joy and the moment we do that we we break that mold because all of us can see the emotions we've just never been trained to see it in all different faces mm-hmm. and there's very little research behind that which i find really shocking but i know when i was in china and i sat there next to this lake in the middle of beijing and there was this i was looking at people and going like what the hell's wrong with me this is the, i can't see mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what, what, what is the one thing we can see, all of us can see? Okay, we can see a mum playing with a kid. There should be love there, right? Mm. We can see a grandfather teaching a kid how to fish. There should be love there, right? We should also see frustration with putting a fish hook, putting bait on a fish hook and not succeeding or casting and not succeeding. But the one thing that jumped out at me is teenagers. Mm. When they're in love... They can't keep their hands to themselves. No. <laughs> you know? So it doesn't matter what the culture is. That's what you're going to see. And I started looking for teenagers, started looking for young people in love, people walking hand in hand, staring deeply and meaningfully into each other's eyes. And I kept myself busy from that, with that for about a half a day, just sitting there, just watching for that. And slowly but surely, I started seeing stuff. And then I started reading stuff. And... Within three days, I would go like, oh, that person is Mongolian. That must be from the north, and that's what they look like. And that person looks more like they're from the south. They look more Han. And um, what are the differences, you know, and, and the facial structures? And all of a sudden, you start seeing these things just because you're willing to be open to it and you're willing mm-hmm. to look for the emotions, even yeah. if it's only the ones you would rec- easily recognize in your own, in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when we start doing that, when we just start thinking about what is the impact that I'm having on someone else? Mm. And can I take, am, am I willing to take ownership of my impact? Mm. Then I need my feedback ne- mechanism and that is, I must see where the pain is caused. Or the joy lives. Because mm. I think that is where we really connect as human beings. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the overall effect is that we become more intentionally mindful. Yes. Mm. Yes. So, I know you alluded to this in the beginning uh, about how you joined um, PSA. Can we go back to that part of the conversation and explore how you feel PSA, especially PISASA, has played um, a part in your career growth? I think it's different for every person. For me, 
there has been challenges in that mm-hmm. um, when I moved to the Netherlands, the, the Dutch have a different way of doing things. They're very straightforward. Um, and they don't care if they're really politically correct or not. Mm-hmm. Because everybody here is allowed to have an opinion and to express it mm-hmm. without people feeling attacked or offended by the other person's opinion because it is not, it's their opinion. It lives in their life. It doesn't live in mine. They've just expressed it. Mm-hmm. And I was being confronted with that when I, um, with, with the, some of the stuff that I, that I experienced the PSA say is that the, the differences in the culture, I didn't realize how much I had changed to become more Dutch. And so I've been learning again some political correctness, which I'd forgotten. <laughs> so that's been one side of it. The other side is South Africans are able to connect relatively easily and share emotions and trust relatively easily, which the Dutch don't. Okay. So it's allowed me to reconnect with that which is my roots you know that that's where, where i come from with my sense of community and my desire for community and to find that mm-hmm. even here in the netherlands but even if it's in a different way but to help me to make that transition and i think the psa has played a vital role in that it's also people have asked me to help out on stuff and so i'm in the the coaching mastermind and wherever people saying like for instance pretoria i've spoken a few times to help people understand how to run a business everything from financial planning all the way through to what do you do with basic marketing strategies um and simple things about how do i construct a speech anything that i've learned over the last years to share that and is my joy. And on the other hand is people that listen and do something with it is, is for me a joy as well because I can see the growth. Mm-hmm. And that also meant that um, when I started looking for people to employ in my company from around the world, um, about 90% came from South Africa. Wow. And specifically the PSASA. So except for the people doing my marketing, everybody else, um, I, the marketing sales side, it, it, the rest of the people all come from South Africa. So I have virtual IT people, I have virtual assistant, I have virtual sales for Africa. It all sourced from the PSASA. Not because I specifically went and looked for it, but because in the PSASA, but because people from within the PSASA was willing and interested in helping and, and, and seeing the value of what I was doing. And it, that has had a huge impact on me. And now I have a team that every Friday when we have our meetings, I actually look forward to it. I look, really look forward to hear what's happened this week, even the stuff that went wrong. I just want to hear what happened. And, I, and on a Monday, we, 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 we replan for the next week and, and it's, it's a bit more focused. And just hearing how people blossom under that and, and mm-hmm. finding out new ways of having conversations and allowing people to also just speak their mind. Mm-hmm which they may not have been used to doing before, sort of bringing a little bit of that, open up that the Dutch side a little bit, you know. Um, I think it's been an interesting journey for me and for the people around me. Wow. And what would you say would be one of the best pieces of advice you've ever gotten from a member of Pisasa? 
love how you dig deep when you're thinking about the answer to these questions. It's like, I think your mind goes... <laughs> things I can be glib about it, but is it is it really valuable to anybody? I mean, people have said to me, don't sweat this, don't sweat the small stuff. It's all small stuff, all right? Uh-huh. Um, but I'm thinking... I won't say it's specifically advice. Mm-hmm. It's the mirror. Okay. So you say somebody and some something to someone or in a group, and if there's a difference of opinion or there are different perspectives or somebody has a specific opinion about something to listen to that and be able to reflect on my own vision on stuff. Mm-hmm. So for instance, um, I, I've attended some, some of the sessions where there was one was a discussion about how to construct a speech and, and specifically storytelling and, and, and constructions of storytelling. And the specific case we were talking about Pixar and, and how Pixar creates his stories or his Pixar story methodology. And what I found interesting is just listening there and seeing how this is structured and realizing that the archetypes being used is actually a Jungian archetype. So it's a psychological behaviorist archetype that's about 90 years old. I'm wondering, how has that adjusted? Do we adjust to that? And then things like, um, do we use structured problem solving? Can we use that as a basis for writing speeches or constructing arguments? And how does philosophy fit in, which is stuff that I've, and Jungian psychology, which I did some stuff on, and how does that tie in then with what I hear about how people construct their stories? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's this whole microcosm of different ideas, and the more people there are, the more ideas there are. Even if they don't agree with each other, it doesn't matter because it all stimulates us to just have a slightly different perspective and a slightly different way of thinking. And which enriches our lives, I think. Absolutely. Exine, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for pouring into everybody who's listening. Um, As we wrap up today, I would like to hear your final words of wisdom to everybody who's listening, whether they be potential speakers, current speakers or future speakers. Give it a go. Mm-hmm. No matter what you do, give it a go. If it's not perfect, give it a go. If you fall flat on your face, give it another go. It is not in when we fall that we learn, it's when we get up. So if you fail with the element of your business, if you fail with the element of your marketing, if you fail with the element of your speech, it doesn't matter. Just give it another go. Because the more we do it, the more we practice, the more we try, the more we learn, and the better we become at what we do. And if there's anything getting in your way, just ignore it for a second and give it a go. Well... There you go, words of wisdom that we can take away. And um, I am truly thankful that I had this conversation with you. I am also truly thankful that I have gotten the opportunity to know you. And um, if you could just share with 
our audience, how they can reach out to you, how they can connect with you, and how they can keep on listening to your words of wisdom. If you want to... <laughs> words of wisdom, it sounds like you're turning me into a sage. I don't know if I am. But um, I have a podcast. It's called Exponentially Me because I believe all of us can grow exponentially. And it's on YouTube, and it is on every single platform you can possibly imagine. Um, and you can also go to exponentially.me, which is the website, and you'll find the podcast there as well. And if you want to get in contact with me, Extendaval, or look for Exponentially Me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all of the usual suspects. I'm just not on Instagram on, or TikTok because that's not where my customer base is. Gotcha. Gotcha. You've heard it from Extend. Reach out to him, connect with him, and uh, try to figure out how you can go to be exponential as well. Thank you, Extend. Thank you for having me, Tissi.